Welcome to Slapshot Podcast, episode number 26. I am your host, Chris Ramirez. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you're enjoying the Stanley Cup playoffs. I hope you're enjoying the hockey that is going on. I definitely am. I gotta say, I have I've gotten accustomed to watching afternoon hockey. That's been pretty nice, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, playoff hockey in the afternoon, 12 o'clock start, and then the Two o'clock, three o'clock games, six, eight, ten thirty. Those are all, those are all great. I know as we move on here in the playoffs, there's going to be less teams, so there's going to be less afternoon games, um, which is a bummer. But hey, it was good while it lasted, right? It was like a kind of like a summer fling, but instead of it being all summer, it was just a, a couple of weeks. But yeah, super excited here um, to be here today. Super excited to be talking hockey as always. Um, today's episode of the podcast, we're going to recap the quarterfinal round that just went through. The semifinal round is already underway. Colorado and Dallas played game one. There are more game ones that are going to be played today. Today is Sunday for me, whatever day it is for you. But uh, yeah, we're just going to take a look back at what was in the quarterfinal rounds, some surprises, some things that we maybe didn't expect, some things that we obviously expected to happen that did. We're just going to recap all that. As always, before we start, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So um, on Spotify, you can get it on Podbean, you can get it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. It's on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, please make sure to follow the YouTube channel so you can get all the updates needed. You'll know exactly when a new podcast is dropped there if you enjoy it. Um, yeah, make sure you follow the podcast. It's got its own Twitter handle on Twitter, at Slapshot Podcast. Make sure you do that as well. Share the podcast with your friends. If you know friends, family, strangers who enjoy hockey and enjoy listening to people talk about hockey, hey, send it this, send it their way. What better way? You know, some of you may be returning to work. Some of you may be commuting to work again, or even if you work from home, you know, nice little background noise for you to enjoy while you're doing whatever you do in life. So yeah, make sure you share that with your friends, check it out, follow the podcast wherever you can. And uh, yeah, let's dive right into this. Let's start with the Western Conference, because I found myself watching a lot of Western Conference games. Obviously, there are the games that are played at a later time, but I wanted to start with the uh, Vegas Chicago series. No shock here in anybody's mind. Oh, before we get into that, I'm going to crack open my beverage of choice today. It is a, it's not a beer. It's a Monster Rocks, a Monster Energy drink. I helped a buddy move yesterday. I am exhausted and every part of my body hurts. I play hockey later on today because it's Sunday. Um, a championship game for us as well. So yeah, I... I need to survive until then, and I need some added energy. Let's see. Uh, this is the green one, for those of you who know. I enjoy um, the red one, the Monster Run. I enjoy the ones that taste like fruit punch. But since they didn't have it where I went, I just got the regular one. Ah, delicious. All right. So, yes, as I was saying, Vegas, Chicago, no shock here that... Vegas was able to get past Chicago in any way. You know, Vegas is a team that's built to win in the playoffs, I've seen. And they got one of their key players back, which was Max Pacioretty. That made them a much better team. Despite, you know, Stashley missing a couple of games due to being 
hashtag, not hashtag, quote, unfit to play, whatever that means now. Um, yeah, they they got past Chicago. Chicago put up somewhat of a fight, but not enough to make it. It was kind of, kind of full circle, right? Chicago trades Robin Leonard away. They don't think they're going to be a playoff team. They magically make the playoffs and make it past the first round. And now Robin Leonard is going up against his former team and he ends up getting by them, right? It'll be different to see how the Robin Leonard ex- experiment plays out now against Vancouver, right? If you're unaware, Alan Walsh, uh, Mark andre Fleury's uh, agent, tweeted out a picture of a sword going through the back of Fleury's back, through his heart, and it's got Peter DeBoer's name on the sword, um, referencing that DeBoer has stabbed Mark andre Fleury in the back. I will say this. I... I know some people are mad at Alan Walsh. I don't think Alan Walsh is a, you know, he's a lawyer. He's a player agent. He's been doing this a while. I don't think he would just do, he would never do something to harm his client, right? I mean, take, for example, let's say Jonathan Drew the Montreal Canes. As much as people like to criticize Drew and whatnot, we'll get to him a little bit later. But I mean, anytime Drew picked up any kind of points or anytime he can put a positive life on his client, on social media, he definitely does. And he definitely stands up for them, right? This is not the first time Alan Walsh has said something or has criticized whatnot. He has a financial interest in his players doing well, right? Obviously, they do well. I mean, their next contract and stuff like that. But I'm not completely shocked that he would do something like that. I think the timing of it is interesting, right? I don't think DeBoer is stabbing Flurry in the back. Robin Leonard has been the better goalie. Right? I mean, statistically, he has. And this has already happened with Fleury. Remember when he was in Pittsburgh? He, I think he suffered his concussion. I think I don't know if it was the last... I think it was the last year that he was in, in uh, Pittsburgh before the expansion draft. Someone will correct me on it. But uh, Matt Murray came in, took over his starting job. Fleury never saw the net again, right? I don't think that was... Yes. Was that the year? I don't know. Somebody will correct me. All that to say... I'm not completely shocked here. Robin Leonard comes in. Fleury was unfit to play at the beginning. Leonard comes in, does a great job. The net is his to keep. I think at this case, it's not that Fleury has been bad. He's played, he's he's started two games. He's picked up two wins. You know, save percentage isn't really there. But I think Robin Leonard gives the, the Vegas Golden Knights the best chance to win. So, this is a tough position for Peter DeBoer to take, right? You, you obviously you have Mark Andre Fleury, you know the veteran. He's won Stanley Cups. He's he's helped this team get to where they need to be. Is he stabbing him in the back by not playing him? I don't think so. Just as much as as I don't think, you know, Henrik Lundqvist is being stabbed in the back in a case where let's say you know Shostrikin would have been healthy enough to play. There's no way Lundqvist would have been the starting. Is that stabbing him in the back? No. You play the goalie that gives you the best chance to win. In this case, it's Robin Leonard. If he falters for whatever reason, then you can play Marc-Andre Fleury and give him the net back. But for now, so far, it's Leonard's job. Does it suck that you traded for a goalie that's come in and taken over? Yeah, maybe. But I think Marc-Andre Fleury knew what was going to happen or that this scenario could happen when you trade Malcolm Subban away to pick up Robin Leonard. That's what happened here. Malcolm Subban hasn't seen any ice, right? He didn't say, I mean, he was virtually non-existent, right? And for good reason. 
He didn't play a minute in the playoffs, not one minute. It was Corey Crawford the entire way, no matter how many goals he gave up, right? Corey Crawford was it. And I think that speaks to a little bit of, you know, do teams think or do the Chicago Blackhawks believe that Malcolm Subban is a viable backup goalie? Again, that's a whole other question. But in this case, to me, Vegas is still a really good team, and they will continue to be a good team regardless of who is in net. But I do believe that this is Robin Leonard's crease until he proves that he cannot hold it anymore, right? Until he proves a little bit like Jordan Bennington, who was unable to keep his crease, right? Vancouver, I had picked St. Louis to win. I knew Jordan Bennington had a tough, right, round robin, qualifier, whatever it was. But I thought he would be able to correct that. He was not able to correct it. I thought it was very interesting for St. Louis to go back to him in game six. I thought it was. I thought Jake Allen had earned it. I thought Jake Allen earned the two starts, right? Vancouver goes up two games to none. Jordan Bennington is an absolute mess. Absolute mess of a player. He can't stop a beach ball. Pucks are going through him. It's not working. Jake Allen comes in. And everything seems to be going well. Game five, he kind of not stumbles, but it doesn't go as according to planned, right? And then they come back with Bennington in game six. Still doesn't work, okay? Bennington played five games in the playoffs. He gave up 21 goals. Like, that's way too many goals. Jake Allen also played five. He played five. He started only four, though. Gave up nine total goals on 138 shots. That's a 935 save percentage of 1.89 goals against average. These two goalies are not even on the same planet. So I don't understand why. Would this series have changed anything? I don't know, right? Hindsight is 2020 at this point. But Jake Allen, to me, should have had the net moving forward and say, look, man, it's not working for you, Jordan. Like, we'll wait till Jake Allen stumbles completely. To give you a shot. But at some point, like this, the struggles of Bennington were were apparent from game one of the return to play. Game one. So I don't understand why going back to him in game six seemed like a really good idea. It wasn't, right? Obviously, now we know that. But I was in in that retrospect, I guess, I wasn't shocked to see Vancouver get by because Vancouver did exactly what they needed to do. They put pucks on the net. They scored goals. Jacob Markstrom was a lot better. I mean, that's going to happen to you. If you do not have goaltending in the playoffs, there's no chance that you advance. There's none. And St. Louis got a key taste of it. Bennington last season was stopping everything. They win a Stanley Cup. This season, you know, this playoffs couldn't stop anything. They're done after the quarterfinal round. So it is what it is there. I'll give Vancouver credit, right? They played well. Their best players were their best players, right? Elias Pettersson was good again. JT Miller was good again. Bo Horvat was really good in this series as well. They're a really good team. What they do in the next round will be up, you know, for debate at that point or will be to be seen. But I'm not completely shocked that they got past St. Louis. I'd pick St. Louis to win just because, like I said, I thought maybe Bennington would be able to figure it out. That team has the experience now. They know how to get it done. If anybody was able to correct themselves, Jordan Bennington would have been able. Didn't happen. Speaking of all that segue here, if you want to 
read my Eastern Conference and Western Conference breakdown of the next round, you can head over to thefantasyfix.com. They're up right now, so you can read them, and you'll know what I think about the next round. I also make some predictions. So far, my predictions have been real simple. I've been going uh, two for two everywhere. That's it. Simple. I get two right and two wrong. Right? I got St. Louis wrong. I got Vegas right. That wasn't... I mean, was it hard? No. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of interesting. The next two series here, staying in the Western Conference, right? Colorado, Arizona. I had watched a lot of this because they played a lot of afternoon games. So that was nice to, you know, you work, you got this on in the background. I was shocked that the Arizona Coyotes were that bad. And then I started, you know, really watching, you know, paying attention. And then it's just, you realize just how good the Colorado Avalanche are. Because the Arizona Coyotes, I mean, they have their offensive woes, right? Despite having Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel and, you know, Dvorak and all that. You know, those are good players who can score goals. But their approach is defense first, right? This team... I mean, they played against the Nashville Predators. The Predators had a chance to get by. But Darcy Kemper stood on his head. And the one point I was here saying was, hey, man, you need to correct this if you want to have a chance. You need to correct it. If you don't correct it, it's going to fall apart. And, I mean, it fell apart quick. Like, how can I say this? I expect... Not that I expected. I'm not going to say I expected. Colorado should have won this series. And they did. By all means, they did. That's not the shocking part to me. The shocking part to me is how quick it was over. I had Colorado in seven. okay, Because I really thought that the Arizona Coyotes were going to tighten things up. Play a much better defensive game. And keep Colorado at bay. Because Kemper was so good in the first round, right? He was good. He stopped, I mean, he stopped a boatload of shots. He faced the most shots in the first round, if you remember. He faced 163. Like, Nashville threw everything at the net. They just didn't score. And then Colorado came, comes in, and Colorado can score. We know that. And they just, they made the Coyotes look like a minor league hockey team. They made them look like an ECHL team. It was shot after shot after shot after shot. Like Philip Grubauer was picking up shutouts, 13 save shutouts. It was nothing was going on here. The Arizona Cubs could not muster any offense. They couldn't nothing. They couldn't figure it out. And that's sad. Because if you look at it, Darcy Kemper started all nine games. Okay. He finishes the playoffs with a 913 save percentage and a 347 goals against average. He faced 334 shots on goal. 334. I'm going to give you a moment to think about that. Okay? That is a lot of shots. That is a lot. Only Jacob Marcham has faced more. And let's not forget some of the that that involved quite a few overtime periods, right? So Jacob Marshman has faced 16 more shots than Darcy Kemper. He's played one extra game and he's played 115 more minutes than Kemper. 
Kemper's played 501 minutes. So if you parallel that to another goalie who's played about the same amount of minutes, you get Anton Hudobin, and he's faced 252. It was ama- Like I said, it was amazing to watch Colorado just... I mean, Nathan McKinnon's on a whole other level. Nazem Kadri played huge role in this series. Huge. That secondary scoring that you get outside of that top line is important, right? Kale McCarr was great. Kale McCarr made Alex Goligoski look like Carl Alsner on the ice. He just dipsy-doodled around him and then finished backhand. And, I mean, Goligoski is not... The, the, you know the most elite defenseman on the ice, but man, I watched that one in like live, and I saw it happen. I was like, "That's that's not fair. It's not fair for a kid playing defense with that much skill to do that to an opposing player." Colorado was just too good on paper. They were too good on paper, and maybe I got that wrong. Maybe I really did think that Arizona would be able to, you know. Defend and they did for large parts. They did. I think it was game one, like it was tight, it was 0 0. I think after two periods, and then Colorado scored three goals in like three minutes, and the floodgates started opening. And it just it never stopped after that. I feel like after that, it never stopped. Colorado threw everything at the net, everything, and they got it done. So, am I surprised that they beat Arizona? No, because I thought they would I was surprised at just how easy it was for them to do it and like I said give the Cody's credit this is a good defensive team they're structured that way but like they got shaken up in round one of a 12 round fight and they never recovered they could not they didn't know how they didn't know what to do it was just pure madness watching them so good for them the series that I found I was going to watch the least of, which I did, ended up being one of the most exciting series of all, which was Dallas and Calgary. I was shocked to see Dallas score that many goals, right? Like I said, game one was played already um, in the semifinal round. Dallas ended up winning game one against Colorado. They scored five goals there as well. Grubauer gets hurt. That's a whole other story. But I think the Dallas Stars are starting to become, like, are starting to become a team, <laughs> If that makes sense. I think they are. Dallas can score in the, qual- in, in the round-robin tournament. And now all of a sudden, Dallas doesn't stop scoring. They don't stop. They just... They keep going. And... I was a little bit shocked at just how... I mean, Calgary did play well at large periods of time. Right? They were not good. And I think Dallas and it's like Dallas pushed the pace, which is something that this team can do. They do have the skilled players to do it, right? But like Tyler Sagan picked up his first goal last night, right? In the semifinal round against Colorado. Like he 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 went a full round robin tournament and a you know quarterfinal round without scoring a goal. Right? Like that's that's problematic for a team. It's very problematic for a team. And, you know, Ben Bishop really didn't play much. Anton Hudobin did well. And then I go to Calgary's goaltending situation. And I just look at it and, man, like Cam Talbot wasn't good. And yet, 
I mean, his numbers don't speak of horror, right? He finished with a 242 goals against average, 924 save percentage. That's respectable. It's respectable. It's not terrible. It's respectable. But Dallas was on a whole other level. On a whole other level. It's nice to see them doing it. Because I felt like they could. I didn't think they would figure it out. Not against Calgary. Calgary's got, you know, their defense is pretty good. They're, they have lines that can get things done. I mean, Milan Lucic was doing things. Like, my God. And then, I mean, I just, I looked at it. I looked at it go. and I, I was, That's not even a word. I looked at it go. My God. Dallas, look what you're doing to me. But, I mean, Joe Pavelski showed up. He scored some big goals there. Dennis Gurionov scored... Four goals. He had he has six total goals, right? In the playoffs, he scored four of them in that deciding game against Calgary. Like I said, Radulov's, you know, he's pitched in. And that's despite, like I said, Tyler Sagan, you know, he got his first goal yesterday. Right? Jamie Benn has been virtually exist, you know. He's been okay. I think the seven points is okay. I just think there's there's more that you can get from Dallas out of this. That's what I'm saying. I think it was shocking that in the round-robin tournament, they were that bad to go all of a sudden to face off against the Flames, who I thought played really well, and get absolutely wrecked. And most of that comes as well from their top-line pairing, right? Miro, Hes- Miro Heskinen and John Klingberg, like, they've done stuff. Heskinen is... 13 points in 10 games. He's a plus five. Nine of his points have come at even strength. He's got 30 shots on that too. Like, a lot of talk is about John Klingberg here, but Miro Heskin is starting to put himself in the conversation of really, really good defensemen. Like, he's slowly, to, to me, Kale McCartan and Quinn Hughes are on one level. Miro Heskinen is like a 1B to those two. Like, he is right there. Up until now, right? They played 10 games. Heskinen leads his team in shots. 30 shots in the playoffs. Jamie Benn is second, which is nice to see. John Klingberg is third. So your big boys up front for Dallas are taking shots. But, I mean, Klingberg and Heskinen, top three on your team in shots, says a lot. And I think that's the difference here. For the Dallas Stars, they have they have two defensemen who can push the pace here and really contribute offensively. So you, when you take guys like Radulov and you take guys like Sagan, and you take guys like Ben and Pavelski, I'll throw Gurionov in there as well. Right, you got five players, five offensive players who can do some damage. Now you're throwing in two other defensemen. That becomes a lot of pieces for one team to watch. A lot of pieces. I do think. You know, Colorado can contain that. But Colorado's, I think they found out in game one, like, Dallas is not the Arizona Coyotes here. Like, this is going to be a series and a half. It is. But, man, it's. I didn't expect Dallas to do all that damage against Calgary, a team that I thought was sound defensively. But the rest of it after that just, they didn't look good, the Flames. They just didn't look good. Not at all. And it is what it is at this point. They didn't get enough points. They didn't get enough goals. They didn't do enough, right? And give credit to Anton Hudobin. He was well. He had 
He had the best save percentage of any goalie to play minimum 24 games during the season. He had the best save percentage. And I think that falls into him being a good goalie. Are the Dallas Stars that good defensively? I don't think so. But he did what he had to, he did what he had to do, right? I think Dallas would much rather have Ben Bishop in goal. That's for sure. But it was good to see him get to where he needed to be. And Hudobin did enough to help his team win. And let's see what he does in the next round here. Let's, uh, yeah, that covers the that covers the West. Let's switch over here to the East. I watched a lot of the Eastern Conference games. I enjoyed them quite a bit. Let's start with Tampa Bay and Columbus. I watched a little bit of this. I thought this series would go a lot longer. But in the end, I mean, Columbus couldn't get it done. These were some tight games, though. These were some very tight games. And, I mean, we know the magic that Columbus was able to pull off against Tampa Bay the year before, but they just couldn't come out and get that same magic twice. And it's not for lack of trying, right? We knew that this Columbus team was not going to get, you know, a whole bunch of points from a whole bunch of different guys, you know? Pierre-Luc Dubois finished with 10 points in 10 games. He was exactly the player we thought he would be, Okay. It was really good. Cam, At- Cam Atkinson did what he needed to do. You know, Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, I mean, they didn't have the point totals that we had. They had seven points combined for those two in the entire playoffs. Now, they did play the Toronto Maple Leafs. They did play the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Those are two heavy offenses, and your players at that point are more focused on making sure the puck doesn't get go into your net, right? That's the John Tortorella kind of way. We play defense first. We take advantage of our opportunities later. And I guess maybe, not that they ran out of steam, but I guess the Tampa Bay Lightning deserve a little bit more credit than I was willing to give them at that point. I thought the fact that Steven Stamkos wasn't there was going to be a problem. And, I mean, it wasn't, but this was a low-scoring affair, right? So it didn't have to be a problem. I think it's going to be a problem moving forward. But I think they did, Tampa Bay did just enough. They won just enough games, right? They, they In five, I thought it would go seven. I really did. And it's not for lack of trying for the Blue Jackets, right? I mean, Corpusalo can't be any better than he was. He started nine games. He finishes the playoffs with a, with a 1.9 goals against average and 941 save percentage. Man, like this team from a defensive perspective, aspect from a keeping the puck out of your net they were excellent they just didn't score enough goals against Vasilevsky who was equally as good on his side you know you you look back to that first game right that went on uh for days maybe that's the difference there right that's a tough that was a tough loss it went into what like triple overtime or something like that's that's a lot, man. That is a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to find it. They got, yeah, man. They, they just, it's too much sometimes for certain teams to be able to, to get past. And these were some low-scoring games here. Let's, like, they weren't blown open. They weren't blown open. You know, Tampa Bay didn't come out here and start dominating at will. Uh, I went into five OT. That's true. The first game, right? You go into five OT periods before 
point scores his goal. I thought it was three. It was more than that. Like, that's a tough loss, man. You start the series with that. Like, oh, man. But I think this Columbus team is good. I think maybe they need a couple more pieces up front. Maybe an extra goal scorer out there to help. Nothing to, against Cam Atkinson and, you know, the Felinos of the world. But, you know, Oliver Bjorkshan was a little bit invisible in this series, I find. He didn't do as much as I thought he would. He had three points. He had three goals in ten games, right? It's not enough. They were missing a couple. And it's tough, again, to, to compete with a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're loaded offensively. Who have, you know, their defensive core is pretty good. It's tough. But I was that series was exactly what I thought it would be. It would be close. I thought maybe Columbus would be rewarded in some of those games by scoring, you know, by at least winning more than one. But, I mean, hey, shout out to Tampa Bay, man. Doing what you got to do. Uh, let's keep going here. The Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. I really thought the Carolina Hurricanes would be able to get past the Boston Bruins. But didn't happen here. The big news in that series was obviously Tuka Rask um, deciding to opt out and to leave the bubble and go home. And, you know, a lot of people had opinions on it. A lot of people were going through. For me personally, when I heard the news, I paused for a second. And I was like, Again, if a player doesn't... I don't think this was a question of whether Tuka Rask felt safe or not in the bubble. Because let's be honest. The NHL bubble, give credit to the NHL where credit is due. It is the safest place on the face of the earth right now. If you asked me where I'd want to go on the face of the earth to be protected from coronavirus, I want to go to the NHL bubble. Because <laughs> the NHL has done an amazing job of making the players feel safe. Right at first, the players who were opting out and were choosing not to go to the right, not to return to play before the playoffs even existed, I think a lot of them maybe had the fear of getting something from the bubble. Some of them, obviously, their family members, you know, were sick. They wanted to stay home. That's okay. I'm sure there's some players who were afraid of getting sick going to the bubble, and the NHL has basically put that to sign and say, "Hey, look, we're going to make sure you're the you are the most protected people on the face of the earth." So shout out to the NHL for doing that right. Right, So when Tuka Rask left, I found it interesting. That's what I said. I found it interesting. I found the timing of it interesting. I support his decision. Look, I mean, I, I don't know why. I haven't, I mean, there's all kinds of theories that go around, right? He wanted to be close to his family, right? His wife is at home. They have young children. You know, he made his comments about how he felt about the bubble and any, you know, before any, you know, anything started in the playoffs, and I just felt like at this point for him, he's not playing as many games. He's He had played like enough games to get there, right? He had played enough. Yaroslav Halak took over the couple of last ones, but he had played. His numbers weren't terrible, but I mean, they weren't on the same level, right? And I just felt like Maybe Boston was starting to turn the page and move and give Yaroslav Halak more starts. Like I said, he wasn't a fan of the bubble to start with and everything. He came back. Maybe he tried and said, you know, Corey Hurst brought up something interesting, right? And that was the players, you know, and their mental health in the bubble. I know a lot of us look at the bubble and say, man, what an absolute dream it would be. You're surrounded by the boys all the time. You, you know, you have, it's like a frat house, but you play hockey as well. Okay. And a lot of people say, well, why would that be a problem? And I'm sitting there going, I say, okay, for most regular people like you and I, 
It would be two months of whatever, but that's not our life. That's not our job. These players, veteran players, let's say, for example, they, they've they been away from their families for a long time, right? Like every year they're away. You know that, that, that new car smell? You know, it kind of goes away over time. And to these players, like we might see this as cool because this is our first experience ever doing this, right? Or maybe it brings back these memories of when you would go to minor hockey tournaments with the boys for a weekend and, you know, you're playing hockey and you're hanging out together and you're playing mini hockey in the hotel, you know, 15th floor, you know, lobby and whatnot. But this to players, this is their job. This is what they do. And they're away from their families a lot. And this is tough on... Like, this is tough on, on wives and stuff like that. Like, it's not easy. That's an um, enormous amount of support that these players need to say, hey, I'm going away. I'm leaving you all alone. Like, not all hockey wives just stay home and do nothing, right? Like, they got stuff to do. It's in the middle of a pandemic. You know, your significant other is not there. And you got to juggle all this by yourself. Maybe it was too much for Tuka Rass to be able to handle. Maybe it was too much for his wife. Maybe she couldn't do it. So I support him, and I'm not questioning whether he shouldn't or shouldn't have done it. It was fine. It was interesting as timing. It was interesting. I just feel like maybe it was a little bit easier. People are saying, oh, he gave up on his team. He didn't give up on his team. That's not how I'm looking at it. I don't think any of the players in that locker room see it that way. But to me... Considering his opinions that he had before it started, considering his play during, I think it just made the decision easier for him. If he was going to sit on the bench and not play, maybe it was better for him to say, look, I'm going to go home with my family and it sucks, right? Not to mention, right, Tuka Rask has a Stanley Cup ring as well. Maybe he doesn't need a second one. Maybe he doesn't need another one. Maybe that's not the thing. And I know it's crazy for some people to say, okay, but like hockey's not the number one thing for all these people. It's It may not be. Hockey may not be the number one priority for a hockey player. Just like whatever job you have is not your number one priority of it. It's a job. That's what this is for players. It's their job. And it's it's okay for them to care about their families and their lives before their jobs. And, it's, and look, man, the bubble isn't as great as people say it is. A lot of players are saying, look, man, you don't go anywhere. You don't do this. You know, they're stuck in their hotel rooms. They can't go anywhere. It's not great. This has gone on now for, you know, a few weeks now. It's tough for players. I understand that. I don't think, I think it's, I mean, I think it would be cool to go. Yeah, but two or three months and then you're out of there. And then you go home. These players have been, you know, they spend half the year on the road. Or away from their families sometimes. Training, doing this. Now imagine doing that for 15 years. And now saying, hey, by the way, they're going to take you into this bowl. You're not going anywhere. For younger players, maybe it doesn't matter as much. You know, If you're a young hockey player, single, and you got no family and whatnot, man, it's a party. Look at all the NHL players, you know, young kids bringing their Xboxes and Playstations and playing Warzone. Yeah, it's cool. But not all those players are in that that life frame situation. Some of them have families and young kids that they miss and they, you know, they want to be around. So I, I fully understand Tuka Raskin saying, Hey man, I don't want to do this. Maybe mentally he couldn't accept it as well, which like I said, Quirish brought up a, you know, an interesting point, you know, our players getting the mental, the mental health support that they need. Is that something the NHL is offering them? Is that something these players are being, because 
I'm sure Tuka Rask is not the only one sitting there going, man, it's tough. But I think a lot of players at this point say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm already here. I've already gone this far. Like a lot of people say, well, yeah, but he already came this far. Yeah, but he can change his mind anytime he wants. I think we'll see less of it. I don't expect any other players to opt out at this point, barring injury. But I support Tuka Rask and the decision that he made. I don't think any of us has the, have the right to question it. Like I said, I found it interesting, the timing of it. Had he done this at the beginning, I would have been like, it's fine. He's allowed. But I don't think the Bruins are in a worse situation with Halak than they are with Tuka Rask. I don't think so. I think Halak can do a great job. He's done a really good job up till now. Has fans know exactly what he's capable of doing, right? 2010 playoffs. We know what he can. And, you know, Boston got past Carolina. I thought Carolina had enough firepower to get them to where they need to. They didn't. I thought it was interesting that James Reimer got a start. You know, the injury to Shveshnikov obviously was a huge impact here. Justin Williams was hurt as well. I guess maybe a little bit. Carolina didn't have the depth to get it done. The injuries were too much. But they're a good team. They were a good team. That's why I expect them to get past Boston. I thought Boston was a little bit shaky in the round-robin tournament. They didn't look really good. I thought Carolina, just the way that they played against the Rangers, would be able to get past them. Didn't happen, but... Again, the Boston Bruins know how to get to where they need to be. They did it with with El Pasternak for a couple of games. He's healthy. He's back in the lineup. You know, good for them. Like I said, a little shocked that it went that way, but not completely shocked. Um, not completely shocked, obviously, is watching the New York Islanders get past the uh, Washington Capitals, right? So I think a lot of people had the Capitals on their list of a team making it through. I did. But I wasn't shocked that the Islanders got passed, right? Because Braden Holpe confirmed that he was a fraud um, in the round-robin tournament because he was not good against the Islanders. The Islanders are a really good hockey team. And I think a lot of people kind of discredit that or forget that. He is a good goalie. He is. But he is not the elite level that he, that people want to believe that he is. Not anymore. And maybe you haven't heard of the news, right? Because it broke as I was as I'm starting to record this, right? The Washington Capitals have fired their head coach, which I guess kind of speaks a little bit to the volumes of how management feels that it should have gone. But in the end, right? This Islanders team is a well-structured defensive team. They are very good at what they do. They don't have a lot of holes on their blue line. They have four lines that play well. Barry Trotz coaches this team in a way that they can be successful, right? And we've seen this, right? I mean, Semyon Varlamov is one of the better goalies in the playoffs. His numbers are there. He is... He is good. This is this a lot about him? I don't know because right, Robin Leonard was part of them, and then you know he left, and he's still good. But you know, Semyon Varlamov comes in; the numbers are still good. But the Islanders are a good team. The Capitals, yes, they were without Nicholas Backstrom for a little bit, but I mean, Ovechkin didn't do what he wanted on the ice. They didn't have a lot of room to operate, and like I said. Holpe was exactly what I thought he was, which was not great. He wasn't good. 
didn't keep his team in the game. I thought Washington had enough firepower to overcome that. I did. I thought they'd have enough firepower to score goals. And Braden Holpe being below average wouldn't be as big a problem. Obviously, I was wrong. That's probably not one of my better decisions that I picked there. I I kind of discredited the Islanders a little bit there. And I'm not going to do it twice, though. I think the Islanders are a legit hockey team. A legit hockey team. And I think they're a legit team. Because a lot of people are saying, oh, whoever wins between Boston and Tampa Bay is going to go straight to the Stanley Cup Finals because they're going to get through whoever else they play, right? And I don't think that's the case. I do not think that's the case if the New York Islanders make it past the Philadelphia Flyers. I think the Islanders are a very good hockey team. They're well coached. They play well. They have talent up front, right? Beauvillier was really good in that series. Barzell is pretty good. Everly's starting to get better. Lee is still there. Bailey's still there. The Islanders have the best fourth line in hockey. Like, they're a handful to handle. A handful. And people just kind of discredit them. We're saying, oh, they're not interesting. People are going to fall asleep or not watch the, you know, Flyers-Islanders series. That's the series I want to watch the most. I want to see how good this Islanders team is. Are they legit to compete for a Stanley Cup? We know the teams that are. But can they can they at least get out of the Eastern Conference? Or can they at least make it interesting if they make it past? Can they make it past the Flyers? Can they make it an interesting series against the Flyers? A lot of questions for the Islanders. But I think they're a really good team. I'm not shocked that they got past the Capitals. I, I mean, I thought the Capitals would, but I'm not completely shocked. I didn't fall off my seat going, what? Capitals lost? What? Hope he wasn't as good as I thought he was. What? No. Absolutely. Let's close this out with the Philadelphia Flyers and the Montreal Canadiens, right? The Flyers advance. I got this one bang on, right? I had the Flyers in six. I expected it to happen like that. No real shock here. Um, Man, it must suck to be Carey Price on a whole other level. <laughs> I mean, he was... He was exactly as advertised, right? I don't think anybody can question whether Carey Price... Like, he was he was good. He finished with a 936 save percentage and a 178 goals against average. He was really good, and he still lost five games. It, it just goes to show that... First of all, the, the part... Montreal played really good... In the first period of game two. First period of game two. Second period of game two is a little equal. In, in, in game two where they won 5-0. I think that was their best their best game that they had played. And I think that kind of woke the Flyers up a little bit. But anytime you get shut out. Back to back is a problem. Right? It's a problem. Carter Hart was good. I'll give Carter Hart credit. He was really good. And he, he needed to be. Now. Carter Hart might, is going to figure out that the to me the New York Islanders on paper are a better offensive team than you know the Montreal Canadiens are. Let's let's not get that confused, right? Carter Hart's given up only thirteen goals in the playoffs. He's got a nine forty three save percentage and a one seventy one goals against average. He is he is as advertised. He is really good, and the Flyers did a good job of. Just limiting Montreal's time and space. Montreal, obviously, I mean, they've shot themselves in the foot a whole bunch of times, right? A whole bunch of goals went in 
if, if, if you watch game six, I watched game six. First of all, falling down, you know, 2-0 early in a game is probably not the best thing to do, right? If you're the Montreal Kings trying to not be eliminated. But again, those pucks went off defensemen. They went off Weber. They went off a whole kind of players. Weber played well in that series. I think Sherratt was pretty good. Jeff Petrie was good. The big three, as I like to call it, were pretty good. I think they just lacked some depth. That was it. Montreal's depth didn't show up. Brendan Gallagher, I mean, it sucks that he broke his jaw on a Matt Niskan and cross-check to the face. I mean, a fit, look, officials are bad no matter what. I just want them to either be consistently bad or consistently good. Chris Lee is consistently bad. Okay, the cross check is square in the face. I think the NHL is a joke for giving that one game suspension. Okay, because in that game, right in game five, you throw Kakanyemi out for a hit. It's a hit from behind. Sure, it's a later hit from behind. The player turns in. He sees him coming. He gets drilled. It's a little bit of blood on his visor. So the referee says, "I'm giving him five in a game," which was bold as fuck. That's a bold call to make. And then you blatantly miss. Like, Niskanen gets hit by Gallagher in the corner. Niskanen gets up, doesn't care where the puck is. He knows it's where Gallagher is, but he's not looking for it. Comes straight at him. The stick is already horizontal to his body. And he just drills him in the face. The official standing in the corner. He breaks his jaw, right? Nothing gets called. Then the NHL says, I'm going to give you one game. If that is not intent to injure, I don't know what is. Right? Outside of Tom Wilson throwing a check, which, again, Tom Wilson had his own shit to deal with, again. But outside of whatever Tom Wilson does being intent to injure, that was as close as you can get to it. The player gets up. He doesn't care where the puck is. He has no intent to play the puck. And he just blatantly puts a stick into a player's face, breaking his jaw. Like, the NHL, the Montreal Canadiens sent the video that their social media person got to the league and says, hey... Here's the angle. And you're telling me the league looked in and said, yeah, one game is good enough. I would have given him more. Maybe I'm a little bit biased on that, but I would have given him one for breaking his jaw because now you know Gallagher's not coming back, which that was the loss, right? You lose Brendan Gallagher. Regardless of, you know, he had a tough series and he didn't have many goals and he, you know, the points weren't coming. He's still the workhorse of that offense. You know what you're going to get from Brendan Gallagher every time he steps on the ice. Losing that, obviously hurts okay but i would have given him at least two one for the cross check one for the intent to injure that's it finish him for the series and say that's it bro we're gonna balance this out that would have been enough for me the league choked it said i'm gonna give you one i mean you could probably saw a guy's head off with your skate and the league would say yeah one game is good enough you know don't do it again but anyways you know, the Flyers survived game six in my mind. I don't think they, you know, they, they didn't deserve to win that game, but they did just enough to win. The puck bounced around. It found the way into the back of the net. Sometimes I'd rather be good than lucky. Sometimes I'd rather be lucky than good, sorry. And the Flyers were lucky in game six. They did just enough to win. You know, who knows how their series goes against the Islanders. But, you know, give the Flyers some credit where credit is due. Their top line was slow to start. Vigneault called them out after game two. They were better. For Montreal, that was not the case. They didn't, you know, it's no question that Montreal relies on their goalie to get things done. At some point, you're going to need some offense to kick in. You're going to need players to score some goals. Montreal couldn't get all their players going. It says something when Nick Suzuki finishes tied with the most points on your team. 
right? Jonathan Drouin played really well. I've spoke about him before. He played really well. You know, Joel Armia had a couple of goals in that series. Kotkaniemi was pretty good. But no player on the Montreal Canadiens, they played 10 games. No player had 10 points. Only two players had more than five. You know, Weber played a lot. He did what he had to do. Gallagher played nine games. He has one goal. Okay. Philip Deneau, one goal. Max Domi, no goals. Thomas Tatar, two goals. It's not enough. That's not enough. It's not enough goals. Your best players were not your best players. Max Domi had nothing. Zero goals. He had three assists. I know for long periods of time... He was playing on the fourth line, which, again, that's a whole other topic. Claude Julien and Kurt Muller should have fixed that immediately. Kurt Muller did. He gave him more ice time on the top you know, on the top six, which is, I feel like, where Domi should have been at some point. You can't play a guy on the fourth line with Domi's skill and expect good things to happen. It's not going to happen. You know, Tatar didn't do enough. Deneau didn't do enough. These guys are here. They're part of your top six in, in some capacity at some point. And they're not doing enough to get it done. Yes, there are promising things in seeing, you know, Kakanyemi play the way that he did. And seeing Nick Suzuki play the way that he did. These are nice things. But it's not enough. It's not enough. No offense to Paul Byron, but he should not have more points than Max Domi and Thomas Tatar. Victor Mete had two points, two assists. Thomas Tatar only had two goals. They came in the same game, game two. That was it. Tatar showed up from one game. The rest of it didn't really didn't really do much. I thought he was very average in game one. I thought he was bad in game one. I'm gonna correct that. He was bad in game one of that series. I thought he was really bad. He fixed it in game two. Game three to six. Didn't really see him much. Like I said, Brendan Gallagher can get away with that because you know what's coming. You know the work is there. You know he's taking pucks and sticks and everything in front of the net he's making life difficult for opposing goalies you can get away with not getting the points when you work hard rest of that team didn't seem to work hard and again Carey Price made it a series because he stood on his head at you know a lot he stood on his head and helped the Montreal Canadiens get to where they go but again you know the Flyers got past Montreal I didn't again didn't expect it to be Something that would be hard for them to do. They did what they needed to do. They got past where they need to be. I still think there's a lot of holes in Philadelphia's game that needs to be addressed. But overall, overall, this is a team that has, you know, their defense is good. Their goaltending is excellent. And I think their offense is is still trying to find their pace. Their top line got better. They still need... They need all four lines to roll for them to be able to get past. And like I said, this is not going to be an easy series for them against the Islanders. And if you think it is, you're living on another planet. It's not going to be like that. I don't think it will. So, I mean, who knows how this goes? Who knows how this rolls? But, I mean, look, Montreal Canadiens shouldn't have been there in the first place anyways, right? So... Anything that they got was a little extra to me. It was nice to watch them play. And like I said, it was nice to watch some of the young kids do what they needed to do. They needed to be better moving forward, but this was a good start. I'm excited to see what the team looks like next year. So that covers the Eastern Conference. And that, ladies and gentlemen, 
brings us to the end of the podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for, you know, sending me all your love and support to people who listen and to reach out and to who share the podcast. Thank you so much. Continue to do that. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at FuzzyChris91. You can follow the podcast, like I said, directly at Slapshot Podcast. Please make sure you do that. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Share this with your friends. Share this with people that you love and who think would enjoy this. That's the best way you can do it to, to support me and to support the podcast is just to share it with people that you know. I mean, that's the that's all I'm ever going to ask. Right? I'm not going to ask you to support the podcast financially. If you want to do that, as always, you can head over to patreon.com slash podcast. You can become a supporter of the podcast directly. But if not, just sharing this with your friends on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you do your thing, listening to it on your favorite platform is enough. If you subscribe on the platform on Spotify, if you subscribe on, on Podbean, if you subscribe on YouTube, thank you in advance. There's something that you want me to talk about, something that you want me to cover. As always, you can slide into the DMs. I'll do my best to cover it. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully, time permitting, I'll be able to do one before the end of the semifinal round. But if not, we'll definitely recap at some point the end of this round coming up. But until then, stay safe, wash your hands, continue to social distance, and we will talk again soon. Bye-bye.